We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad. On the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of Roadie on June 13th, 1980. It was written by Big Boy Medlin and Michael Ventura from a story by Medlin, Ventura, Zelman King, and Alan Rudolph, directed by Alan Rudolph and released by United Artists. This was originally adapted from a newspaper column about the fictional Travis Redfish by credited screenwriter Big Boy Medlin. Travis Redfish's home at the beginning of the film is the same house from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is I awesome. Thought, I thought it looked just like that house. It's the exact it same house. It is that yeah. house. Oh my God. I was sure I was just, you know, assuming things. Complete nope. with the moving telephone booth. Right. That was their uh, <laughs> leather faces <laughs> constantly going back and forth into the yard. Um, Alice Cooper's role was originally written for Mick Jagger, but things didn't work out. So, <laughs> lucky Mick Jagger. <laughs> um, we start the movie, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, with armadillos crossing a highway. Uh, these ones are better at it. <laughs> a Shiner premium beer truck flies down the road with horns on the grill. I was sure that an armadillo was going to get hit. Oh, yeah. yeah and I was going to be very upset. Yeah, because yeah. definitely they used real animals in this one. Yep. Um, they all got leprosy. What? Huh? Armadillos can are known to carry leprosy because of their low body temperature. Well, then I That's wouldn't have been upset if they got hit. <laughs> Freaking lepers, get out of my town. We're going to cause you to shipwreck. <laughs> I just want to shipwreck a whole ship full of armadillos now. <laughs> <laughs> Take that precious armadillo gold. <laughs> The truck pulls up to the massacre house, and inside we pan across a pile of televisions. They're all displaying static, and at the end of the pan we see Art Carney in this bizarre automated wheelchair. Bizarre? It's amazing. Awesome. Yeah. It's amazing. I can't believe how much effort they put into this thing. I know. This whole scene, like the, this set is incredible, but uh, it's got all this weird tech attached to it. Outside, B.B. Muldoon is honking the truck to wake up Travis, his, his co-driver for the day. Um, a toy train set brings Corpus, that's the Art Carney character, a cigar. And Alice Poo, Travis's sister, enters the room with her, her hair. Her name is Alice Poo? Yeah. Alice Poo. Okay, I didn't catch that. They just tried to make her generally disgusting in every scene. They so. succeeded. Yep. Mm-hmm. But her name is Alice Poo, and she enters with her hair in curlers, and her face is covered in like this weirdly smeared paste. And she's vacuuming everything in the room, including Corpus. And when she gets into his armpits with it, he's like, You're sucking away all my deodorant! BB enters the house, and Alice spins and catches him in the crotch with the vacuum, which she forgets how to turn off, so he's just getting hurt here. (laughs) There's a struggle going on. When Travis suddenly lowers from the ceiling on this support beam, like he's on stage, Corpus slaps a remote because he's not able to get any of these TVs to work, but then he hands it to Travis, and voila, all the TVs work immediately. He's the tech guru that 
probably built all these things and keeps them working. I wish that they had leaned into that a little harder in these early scenes because it didn't become evident till later that that's what they were implying. Yeah. I think this is really the only hint of it you get is that he pushes a couple buttons on the remote and that everything works and then you're like, oh, he's the genius. Yeah. I mean, we see a lot more of the little contraptions in the house later in the movie, but I think that this was the time to establish that. Yeah. Once all the TVs come on in unison, they're all playing different channels at the same time and we're just hearing a bunch of different clips over the top of each other but the the one that stood out was and it cuts off but everybody says morning back and forth and then bb and travis start driving they uh they're dancing to radio music and i don't think they could hear a song playing i think they're just dancing you know to a to a beat maybe or maybe not even a beat Meatloaf's dancing looks like when Paul Rudd is pretending to dance badly. I don't know how else to describe it, but it's that to a T. They pass a broken down RV, and Travis sees a woman hanging out of the back window, and he says, Bebe, that's the first woman I ever really cared for as a human being. What the hell are you thinking about? So he slams on his brakes, and they back up to help this RV. Meatloaf gets under it, and he's trying to fix what is not the clutch. Ace told him it was the clutch, but it's not the clutch. Excuse me, sir, but this thing don't even have a clutch. It's an automatic. Hey, this thing ain't even got a clutch. It's an automatic, and the linkage is bull squash. And he asks for a nail file, and that's when the girl steps out of the RV with one, and she climbs all the way under the RV with him. She says that she's going to be the greatest groupie that ever lived, and then has to explain what one is to Travis, because, as we'll learn, he he doesn't know, like, any words that are used outside of his county, basically. Rock and roll is the greatest energy of our time, and groupies are the spark plugs of rock and roll. She tells a bunch of romantic rock and roll stories, like when Jerry Lee Lewis married his 13-year-old cousin. With true love, anything's possible. Suddenly, two trucks are passing at the same time, and Ace is standing in the middle of the road and almost gets hit by them as they're passing him, and he collapses in the road as they go by. He begs Travis to go on tour with them to keep the van in working condition. Is that why? Basically, he doesn't think that they can make it to the show in time, and this guy fixed it real quick. So they're impressed, and he's like, come with us. Oh, okay. I didn't realize it was because they thought they were going to break down again. What's the girl's name? Lulu. Lola. Lola. Lola Boulia Base. Boulia Base. That's her full name, Lola Boulia Base? Mm Mm-hmm. Every time she said that, I thought she was, like, accidentally saying the name of a soup. (laughs) (laughs) She tells him she has a dozen ways to say please, but the one that works is just saying please here because he turns to BB and says, I owe you Thanksgiving and Christmas, and agrees to join the tour. So he's going to get them to Austin as quick as he can. Travis takes over driving from Bird, who keeps fucking up the transmission. And uh, we hear a song play about roadies who are the guys that make rock and roll roll. Lola is teasing Travis in the front seat for not knowing who Alice Cooper is. And claims that he invited her to New York to have dinner. She says, you'd love Alice. He's so skinny. Which I'm not sure, is that a dig at his weight? I think so. Because that's the only time that anyone mentions his size in the whole movie. It just felt weird for her to say that there. Yeah, I don't know what that's referring to. Other than it's just like, I'm really into skinny guys. But they get to Austin for the show, two hours late. The crowd surrounds them in the parking lot, and they're all shouting for the roadies. Travis doesn't even know what the word means. Muhammad Johnson gets in the RV, and he tells them they have ten minutes to set up the audio equipment. 
You've got ten minutes, Ace. Precisely ten, or I'm gonna rape your career. <laughs> this line killed me. I don't know why. He says it like three times in the movie, and yeah. every time I crack up real hard. <laughs> so Lola basically volunteers Travis's help to get things to the stage, because Bird's having a breakdown. He doesn't think he can do it, so she's like, the three of us. He's like, excuse me, three? So she basically promises Travis sex if he helps, but later she explains that she's saving herself for Alice Cooper, so she's not. <laughs> and there's also another reason, which she'll get into later. Yeah. Uh, the crowd explodes into applause when Redfish finishes assembling the stage, which has never happened and will never happen. This whole act of him being like world-famous roadie is reminiscent of in Roadhouse how Patrick Swayze is supposed to be a world-famous bouncer. And it's like, no, nobody yeah. nobody knows the name of a bouncer. Like, you just walk past this guy. You don't, you don't even notice this person ever. Well, they... They do have a song about him later. Yes. So he becomes famous because somebody writes a song about him. Right, for this movie. <laughs> it would never happen in real life. Muhammad calls him the Ali of roadies because he's the fastest he's ever seen, and he's a champion. But he keeps calling him by the wrong name. I don't think he says the same name twice here. Here he calls him Red Dog. Hank Williams Jr. takes the stage, and he thanks Travis on his way up, and he performs for this tiny venue of, you know, maybe 100 people in this bar. Lola's the only person dancing on the floor. And then Muhammad says, I'm so impressed with this red bird, I'm going to put you in charge of the next tour. Lola sees Roy Orbison across the room, and she basically steals Travis's entire pitcher of beer to give it to Roy Orbison, I guess. I don't know if it was like a greeting, like, hey, here's a pitcher of beer for you. But he stops her and tries to wrestle it away on the way there, and they dump it over the head of a woman wearing a sash sitting at a table. Her brother stands up and a fight ensues. Lola makes it to Roy in the corner and they talk for a minute before he's escorted to the stage. And together Roy and Hank play a song to try and quiet this fight. Everyone puts their hands over their hearts because it's a Texas song and everyone has to pay attention and be professional. The Shiner beer truck swings into the parking lot and uh, the big brother of the girl covered in beer picks a fight with Redfish. BB tells Travis not to do it that that's Tiny Thompson, the biggest damn neck in the Southwest. And Muhammad puts all of his money on red herring. Which I wasn't sure who he was talking about. Because the other guy had red hair. And <laughs> and I was like, who are you betting on? <laughs> I don't know who no, you're betting he, on. It, He's it was just... so impressed with... Oh, red dog, red wagon, red herring. Red fish, that it's clear here. I think. The two of them square off, Travis and Tiny... And they're kicking at the ground like they're bulls. And then uh, they crash heads in the middle of the dance floor. And uh, Tiny is basically knocked out of the fight. But Travis goes into what's called brain lock. Yeah, I didn't understand this one bit. Yeah, it's a recurring thing over the course of the movie. But whenever he injures himself sufficiently, he enters brain lock. And the only way out is a pitcher of beer. So if you give him a pitcher of beer, he'll be fine. In the meantime, he's saying weird things like, My bowling ball's frozen in a footlocker in Chicago. BB tells them the secret that a pitcher of beer will unlock him, and he says, Who would win in a fight between Mamie Eisenhower and Billy Graham? How about Bo Diddley and Kate Smith? What's the relationship between styrofoam and the planet Jupiter? Muhammad tells them to be in Los Angeles tomorrow. The whole team, including Travis. But the original plan was for BB to meet him here with the truck, and they would just pick him up and leave. Yeah. Go on and do 
whatever deliveries they were meant to do for this right. beer truck. But he got trapped in brain lock. And it doesn't seem like the beer that he has here at the table gets him out of it. BB goes and gets him a pitcher uh-huh. and he drinks it with this really cool like blurring effect of him pulling the pitcher up to his mouth. Well, but, I think that's why I had no idea that the beer was supposed to get him out because it didn't it didn't, it didn't work. Well, <laughs> well he, he didn't finish it. He doesn't finish it until he's on the plane and that's when he he comes out of it. Oh, okay. I missed that detail then. Uh, as he's drinking it he says naked sailors who pass in the night are sometimes scared shipless i don't know what that means in muhammad's car they're watching an interview on a small black and white television i think this is gerald ford (laughs) i'm the guy on the left side of this conversation looks so much like gerald ford but i could not find what this interview was at all I, i think it was made up for the movie well whatever it is the guy on the right is saying that it's the jerry and hank show Mm mm-hmm and the guy on the left looks a lot like Gerald Ford, and they're having a very weird conversation about movies these days. Like they never put enough money into a chase scene. Right. Uh, so they're all sitting in this car waiting for their driver, and then Lola coaxes Travis into the car, and he just speeds off screaming and immediately entangles himself in a high-speed chase with like three or four police cruisers that were right outside the club that they left. And then we get this Benny Hill moment of driving up and down the roads in the city, and the police are behind them, the police are in front of them, the police are driving backwards right. away from them. Right, but I, we just got like this stationary long shot down yeah. the main thoroughfare that's pointing at the Capitol building, I mm-hmm. guess. Where right. in Austin are we? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then I made the joke. It's like, oh, it's like Benny Hill, but Capitol Hill. But the road is playing the part of like the hallway and all these roads are playing the part of the doors in the yeah. hallway. See, and I, I put... I put Scooby-Doo. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Scooby-Doo Same is my, thing. Scooby-Doo is my go-to for that, but yeah. But if they'd, if they'd have put uh, Yakety Sacks over this, it would have made just as much sense. Mm-hmm. We see, I think, a drunk guy pull up in a car and kind of love tap a parked car, but he leaves his car double parked in kind of a lane of traffic. And then the police come down the street, and one of them just plows through the back of this car full speed and just completely destroys it. Well, that's right after a line from that Jerry and Hank show where they say, right. like, like they're they're afraid to kill people in these car chases. Yeah. <laughs> then I was like, so is the implication that this guy just died? Yeah, I don't know what they're saying, but yeah, they're saying that nobody knows how to do chasings anymore. And then the co-host says, "Now when Black Sabbath did chase scenes, people actually got killed." That's what I mean. Nobody died for comedy anymore. And then you see this police car go flying <laughs> through the parked one. Um, but there's no reason he would have hit it. Like, it was just wide open. There wasn't... Right. There was no lack of visibility. Muhammad says to take a right here, Red Sox. And Travis drives into the back of a plane at a small airport. And I totally called this. That I they I would was, just fly I, out? Yeah, because I was like, oh, the police are right behind him. The only way they're going to get away is if he just drives right into a cargo plane. Or another truck. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, oh my God, they did it. Yep. <laughs> I was so proud of myself. Which I think they do in season one, episode five, The Heist, mm. where they, they're getting away with the diamonds and they drive into the back of uh, that uh, cargo plane. Right, I'm going right. to presume we're talking about MacGyver. Yes, yes we are. Because they do that great stunt where they drive the car They drive the car point. out of it. <laughs> and then do they, was there, they set up a parachute on the car, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. So the cops all move out to the tarmac because they lost track of this car and uh, they stop long enough for this plane to go directly overhead, which I really wanted like 
the wash of the plane going yeah. over to like throw all of them to the ground like pushing tin moment but uh that doesn't happen they don't seem to react to it at all but then they notice that the shiner beer truck is coming up on them fast and bb's driving it and he's just screaming with surprise damn you travis now i'm gonna be stuck doing everything here comes that beer truck even though he has like a quarter mile to turn around right right but uh, (laughs) it's it's like the austin powers steamroller exactly but he plows right through all these trucks and lands on top of one of them travis exits the car in the plane and he opens one of the exterior doors of the back of the plane and stares down at the drop for a while before he faints backwards into the plane yeah it's at this point that he has finished his beer and now he's i guess unlocked and that's when he looks outside and he goes oh how did i get here i'm yeah. on a plane we're back at the redfish household and bb is in a neck brace telling the rest of the redfishes what happened the rest of the redfish what happened i don't know uh corpus drives his magic wheelchair around and uh alice feels bad for bb because he has to pick up all of travis's extra work but Corpus points out that Travis has helped BB out a lot in the past, too. Like that time that BB said he was abducted by aliens and was wandering around town naked. Travis wakes up in a moving truck in Los Angeles. They're setting up a stage at the Whiskey A Go Go. Travis freaks out on Lola when she admits that she promised his work on his behalf while he was unconscious. And she pretends to cry for a second after he yells at her. And then when he apologizes, she's like, okay, let's go. But the, while he's apologizing, he's like, I didn't hit you or nothing. She's like, <laughs> thing is the heart. <laughs> but she stops crying instantly when he agrees to take her on a few runs that she wanted to do today. One of which is going to a laundromat to do the crew's laundry as a surprise for them. She admits on the way that she is 16 years old. And she tells him that she can sense things like, Right now, she senses that Jerry Lee Lewis is on the radio, and when they turn it on, he's like, oh, is this that power you were talking about? But I don't remember her mentioning this power before this moment. Mm. Maybe she does. Then she stands up in the car and starts shouting words that I, you presumed were lyrics at the time, and I googled them, and I couldn't find them anywhere. I can't stand apple pie. I'll eat chili till I die. Damn, I'm a woman. I don't know why she says that, but she does. Maybe she's brainlocked. We see this office building where Peter Frampton is leaning against <laughs> a uh, banister reading a magazine. He's receiving a page through the building's PA system. And then two guys that look a lot like Blues Brothers are sneaking around a corner. Mm-hmm. That movie comes out a week from now. Ace says hi to Frampton as he's walking by. He's just like, oh, hey, Pete. And uh, he mentions how smart he is for hiding all their cocaine in a box of laundry detergent. Because no one's going to check there. Travis and Lola head out to the laundromat and an old lady notices they're having trouble with the tide and she tastes some of it Mm -hmm. to determine what's wrong but immediately knows what it is yes I'm I'm as weirded out by the fact that she ate any of it as I am that she took all of it she's just like oh that's what old ladies are for like we're just nice old ladies and, and we trade you for better detergent so she's able to do this laundry with the new detergent now unless this is a regular scheme that people do i don't know why these cops would be following them around with the detergent all day unless mm-hmm. ace called the police on them 
why would they even be here doing this? Did but, they do this to everybody who comes into the laundromat? But knowing that she has it and that she's taken it to a laundromat would make me think that this is just a regular box of Tide. I don't know. There's only one way to test. <laughs> yeah, you got to do a whole line of it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> That's God. the only way. This is horrifying. <laughs> yeah. So Absolutely the, horrifying. The cops immediately test the <laughs> test the Tide, assuming that it's Coke. So they're they're so sure that this one guy does like an inch wide line of it across the top of one of the washers. I think this is so much worse than eating a Tide Pod. Yeah. And, and he just <laughs> screams at the top of his lungs <laughs> and his partner's all, it's good shit, is it? How is it? Pretty good shit, huh? Yeah. <laughs> and then when he realizes, oh no, this is terrible. And he's like, look what you did to an innocent cop as he's like dragging him out of the place. And there's just foam he's, gushing yeah. out of his nose and mouth. Oh my God, he's foaming at the mouth. That'll kill you, I think. And he's like leaning out of the side of the car because he doesn't want to get the detergent all over the inside of the car as they drive away. It's like self-cleaning vomit. Yeah. The, uh, the bands all decide to cancel on tonight's concert because someone took the box of Coke down to the laundromat and gave it to an old lady. Ace tries to smack Lola for losing the coke, but Travis catches his hand, and he's like, that is such a bad idea. I just can't believe how terrible an idea that was. And he's just crunching his fingers in his hand. You can hear bones just breaking. Travis drags the whole reluctant band of coke addicts onto the stage because they're trying to walk out saying, there's no coke, there's no show. And uh, he's like, get on stage. And he's literally just picking them up and throwing them over his shoulder and walking them up on stage. The lead singer here, Sounds so much like B.B. Newirth to me. Right. It's in our contract. No tide, no ride. Oh, yeah? Yeah, her voice just, uh, I was like, whose voice is that? I the, totally recognize this. The larger woman? Yes. Was definitely not her. Is this a famous band? Not really. Um, I was trying I, to try and figure out who they were in the credits. Because there there's a lot of band members that are credited as themselves. Okay. The best I could come up with was maybe they were the Spitters? I couldn't quite... Ad- I think they are the spitters. I couldn't quite associate all of the people with whatever band they were. But the woman that I'm talking about, I think her name was Helen Human or something like that in the credits. And she was like the lead singer of the spitters or something like that. But she does have other acting credits, so maybe these are just actors. When they're on stage, Travis notices that Lola's leaving anyway, even though he fixed everything and got the show to go on. He grabs the microphone off the stand and says, look, I, I set everything up. It's great. The show's still happening. And he throws a microphone to her so she can respond. And the two of them are doing this call and response thing into the audience. And everybody's loving it. The whole house is loving it. The The drummer decides to play along and like play one beat for one person talking, another beat for the next person talking so that everyone thinks it's all part of the show. And he's basically just begging her not to leave. And eventually she explains that she doesn't plan on leaving. And he's like, oh, well, why didn't you say that in the first place? And then she's like, oh, it's coming. It's coming. It's here. And then there's this violent earthquake shaking the whole stage and the show gets canceled anyway. But it's not her fault. We get a wide shot of Los Angeles and the skyline is shaking at night. But then we slowly zoom out of this shot to reveal that it's a postcard that's shaking in Art Carney's hand (laughs) because he's (laughs) just got a postcard from Travis in the mail. Half of this postcard was written by Lola, who says hey, you don't know me, but I love you guys. And they're just really, really sloppily eating chicken wings. Oh, God, this is oh so God, gross. Yeah. It, the, Alice Pooh has, like, orange lipstick from the chicken wings that yeah. she's eating, and she looks super gross. It looks like a John Waters character. Oh, yeah. They're reading the address that it was postmarked to, and Alice Pooh says, Pomonia? And then 
BB says, Pomono. And then Art Carney takes the one. He's like, that's not what it says. It says, Pomono. <laughs> so they're, they're all wrong about how to say Pomona. But I also liked earlier when they're in the car and BB's talking about dancing and he says, I'm like that John Travolto. <laughs> he's like, who? And he's like, Travolto. You need to get outside of this tiny town. Like, he knows everything. <laughs> Travis flirts for a minute with Lola in a hotel room while she's preparing dinner for him. Yeah, this, this I hate whole this scene. Yeah, this whole scene was infuriating. He's just duplicating what he's seeing on TV. Yeah, as as if he's being funny. Yeah. So she's talking about how she doesn't like spiders, and she sees one in the kitchen, and he's watching a movie about spiders. So he makes a joke that there's spiders in the room, and she's freaking out. And then he switches to a cowboy movie and pretends he's a cowboy, and he sneaks up behind her with like a brush. He has like a pick yeah he tells her to drop her drawers and she's like oh what are you doing get out of my way and like pushes him away so she can get back to the kitchen to finish making food and she starts to bring over this big salad and he just grabs her from behind pulls the salad out of her hands dumps it completely upside down over the television and then throws her on the bed and she's clearly not into this like she's asking him to stop repeatedly and then he climbs on top of her on the bed this 16 year old child she reminds him that she already told him she's saving herself for Alice, Alice Cooper, and he's very angry that this child won't sleep with him. So he slaps her TV in anger, and there's this weird, like, the rabbit ears pop up in the air off the mm-hmm. TV. I, I think that that was actually planned because there's so much work that goes into these jokes that just fall flat in the movie. But I'm pretty sure that was on purpose, that it flies up in the air but, like yeah. that. But what was the purpose? Just to be funny. But he slaps it, and the rabbit ears go flying up, and then he says, I am leaving because your television doesn't work because he just broke it by slapping it. And then sparks start to fly out of the TV as he's walking out of the room. Don't you tell me what I should do, and don't you tell me what I shouldn't do, and especially don't tell me how to waste my time! Where are you going? I'm going to my room. Because your television don't work! But the popping sound of the TV being electrified is suddenly mixing into the sound of the rest of the crew slapping at a vending machine that they can't get to work in the hallway. And they ask him for help, and he just picks it up and throws it in the pool. Like, that's helpful at all. Travis grabs Bird, and they head out to go get drunk. <laughs> I, I really like Bird in this scene, actually. Mm-hmm. They, uh, they're they just talking about women, but Bird doesn't really have anything to contribute to the conversation and Travis is just listing off different kinds of women. He's like, tall women, short women, ugly women. And every time he finishes a line, Bird just goes, women, for no reason. There were some ladies walking by in at the head of the scene, and right. some of them were ugly women. I think, I think they were bothered by what he was saying, but I don't think he was specifically talking about anyone there. You I think, don't think he was, so? No, I think he's literally just giving a list of different types of women that have driven him crazy. And then he starts talking about how he met a girl who acts like a Martian and looks like a Martian and talks like a Martian, and she might be a Martian. And then he goes, Martian! Martian! (laughs) Because he's just weird, and I love it. And I want to take note of this conversation for later. Okay. Is there there any other point I need to make, or is that enough? No, no, no. You've said enough. (laughs) A news report on the radio the next day says... Rock and roll dateline. Local officials are trying to put a stop to rock concerts due to fuel shortages. Hell, don't they know that rock and roll puts more energy into the air than it takes out of the ground? So that's the premise of this 
next event that happens. Mm-hmm. So the government is upset about a fuel shortage, and they've decided that the best way to solve the fuel shortage is to cancel specifically rock concerts. Well, maybe it's just crazy California in there. They're in Idaho. Yeah, oh. this is Boise. <laughs> I thought they were going to Pomona. <laughs> no, they were in Pomona when the earthquake happened. Oh, okay. But uh, now they're now in they're in, now they're in Boise. After their fight the night before, because Lola didn't want to get raped, uh, they insist on speaking to each other through Bird in the cab of this truck. Bird and Travis start talking about cow pies as an energy source. I remember when this was a talking point in the like uh, the conversation of energy conservation, where people were like, "Oh, well, did you know that manure? If it, you you dry out manure, and it's a better fuel source than anything else." And it's obviously not the case anymore, but. This, uh, this is just setting up a punchline later. While an outdoor event in Boise is being set up, the local government officials serve Mohammed with an injunction that shuts down the concert in the name of energy conservation. So they cut power to the stage, and Mohammed tells Redface to do something. Yeah, Redface, do something. Back at home, Corpus calls Alice to answer the phone because he can't reach it. It's out at the end of the line. This, this phone in their house is a... It's a full pay payphone booth, and it's on a line that goes out into the yard and then comes back into the house for some reason. But all, all these contraptions are very uh, like Pee Wee Herman esque. Yes, but this one right now it's out in the yard and she's out in the yard, so he tells her to answer the phone. But she's too busy having sex with BB in a hammock, so she barely gets into the payphone in time, and she's not fully dressed when she mentions that it's Travis on the phone and then Corpus flips a switch to bring the phone booth into the house. So she's frantically trying to get dressed while the phone booth is moving inside. Corpus doesn't seem to care that they're not dressed. When he starts talking to Travis on the phone, BB's like, you think he noticed? And he's like, yeah, he probably noticed, but he doesn't care because he assumes that you have to marry me now. Lola overhears Travis talking to his father and uh, his father's giving him their the mantra of the family, which is, It'll work if you let it or something like that. Yeah. She says, are you going to BS on the phone all day or are you going to get things done? And he, and that's when he's like, BS. Bullshit. That's it. You just saved the day. And then he hangs up on his dad and he goes and collects a bunch of bullshit from a field and they dry it to make an alternate fuel source so that they can run basically a generator behind stage to keep the show running yeah it's pretty elaborate setup that he in theory just whips up on the spot you right know, a, a big uh water tank and you know uh well his steam steam powered uh you know turbine yeah when he's talking to his dad his dad says if you need one buy one if you can't afford one make one and so they're literally holding up mirrors to reflect the sun to ignite this pile of cow turds and then the cow turds nobody at a rock concert has a lighter apparently <laughs> But the heat is boiling the water, which is pushing the fan, which is rotating a generator and charging like a bunch of car batteries. And then all these car batteries are being used to power the concert. He gives Blondie the opportunity to be the plug-y and turn on the stage power. Yeah, she so she takes the, the female end of the cable and he takes the male end and they connect it. And then she gives him a kiss. Debbie Harry gives him a kiss before she heads on stage. Lola's angry at him for kissing a rock star even though she has said nothing but how she plans to throw her virginity at a rock star. Blondie sings Burning Ring of Fire on stage. Not a Blondie song, which uh, was a yeah. weird choice. Also, not a really great rendition no. of Burning Ring of Fire. 
Lola starts knocking on trailers to get groupie practice. Travis is not cool with this. He's just kind of drinking at the top of some scaffolding during the concert. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure what that even means if she's not throwing herself at all these guys. Yeah, I think it clearly is what that means. But she's Later on she says that she hasn't been, but I don't yeah, know what she's, she's doing here. Yeah, I don't know what she's doing in there. She's not doing that, and she's already told him that she's saving herself so it's a little confusing she's probably just being her super friendly self when she gets in there and then forgets to be slutty at all and then she just becomes friends with them worst groupie ever muhammad thanks travis redtop for saving the show he's on stage thanking him and uh, he invites him to speak when travis falls off the scaffolds and just drops through the stage hey, Red Snapper, you all right and then he's trying to climb up through the broken stage and he's in brain lock again so he tells the crowd a bunch more nonsense before the rest of the crew are able to wrestle him off stage muhammad tells debbie harry to get him to the hotel muhammad tells ace that travis has inspired him to run for president and ace is like wait what why him let me run it i i campaigned for spiro agnew <laughs> which is weird that whole thing is weird what is him running for president have to do with anything well it never comes up again yeah that's the end of the story anyway i think that's the end of his character right we don't see him at the house is he at that i don't remember him at the alice cooper concert um i don't know if he no because i don't think they're i mean their tour isn't associated with alice cooper whatsoever yeah he is in the back of a car with the rest of blondie he says <laughs> the, the rest of blondie is blondie a group yes daddy harry is the lead singer i did not blondie know that is the group yeah i don't know anything about music well, there you go. <laughs> which is uh, very, makes this movie very difficult for me <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah he's in the car with them and he's saying brainlock stuff like it's part of the movie i sure wish i was here maybe i'll get here soon oh i love intellectuals and someone's filming them from the front seat and so we're getting these really trippy shots of him just like staring directly into camera and being odd while everyone else is just shouting nonsense back and forth with him like everybody has brain lock back at the sawtooth inn oh this is my that was my next note back at the sawtooth inn everyone seems to have brain lock debbie harry suggests that travis try being a mad bomber or sniper and people are just lighting rags on fire and tossing them around the restaurant lola brings the band that she has befriended to the hotel the band is called snow white i called this one yeah and uh we see her getting out of the van she's like come on guys and she goes inside and uh while they're sitting at the table lola comes up with seven dwarves and starts chewing him out for sitting here at this table with her and travis basically follows her out of the restaurant angry so they're arguing in a back room and he says how many trailers have you knocked on today and she says what are you doing with that painted hussy and he's like painted hussy they start fighting here and they start going to these piles of tires because apparently like a tire company is having their annual party here and so there's just piles of tires all over the place and they start grabbing them and throwing them like just across the restaurant in like knocking down tables and people travis is able to drag her to the car and he puts her in his car and he says i'm taking you directly to new york to see alice cooper we're gonna get this over with as uh, they're walking around in New York when they get there, everyone's carrying radios on the sidewalk and they're all talking about the world's greatest roadie. 
because that's him. And he drags her into a concert venue and up onto the stage during a rehearsal, just as Alice is showing up. Travis shouts at Alice Cooper that he needs to take Lola on a date that he promised. And instead of saying, what are you talking about? I've never met this person in my life. He's just like, of course, I always keep my promises. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, whatever you say, sir. Travis pushes through this big net of balloons on his way out of the venue. But when Alice hears that he is the Travis Redfish, he sends a security team to intercept him. Well, because well, he, he seems to be having problems getting his concert up and running. Yes. Yeah. And, and he just snaps his fingers and like these like five guys just kind of jump into frame. Right. And uh, they start chasing Redfish uh, out of the venue as he's walking up this ramp. And when they finally catch up to him, the guy that's shouting in his face is Kurtwood Smith yep. in his debut feature film appearance. Before their date, Lola makes a bunch of demands of Alice. He says, you need to wear the snake. You need to wear the eyes. You need to have leather, all the black leather. And he's like, okay, let me just get all this down. He's like writing down the details. Like, okay, I need to remember this date to do it proper. And she whispers something in Travis's ear. And he's like, are you kidding me? Are you crazy? And he's like, what is it? And uh, the red cup thing. That comes with the black leather. You're good. (laughs) This movie needed more of this. Yeah. Well, they they go to the dinner conversation, and it's just the three of them sitting at the table being funny. But it's a legitimately funny scene, and all three of them are entertaining for Mm -hmm. it. I'm actually really glad it was Alice Cooper and not Mick Jagger. I agree. I think that Alice Cooper is a very genuine guy and a funny guy. And I think Mick Jagger takes himself way too seriously. Yeah, I think it would have been (laughs) an even more uncomfortable scene with Mick Jagger here. Based on this conversation they're having over dinner... Travis is basically just being hired to fix all of Alice's stuff. He says that he'd do just about anything for a ride home. And Alice Cooper says, man, I'll buy you the bus to get you home if you'll fix this show. And it turns out he buys him the bus. Like, he literally gets a bus out of this deal. So, in exchange, he's going to get a ride home. But the next day, we see him setting up the Alice Cooper concert. Is he literally powering this concert with potatoes? Yes. It is a series. The whole concert? It's a series of potatoes all wired together that solved whatever problem they were having. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Because I thought, I was like, is that just a fix for one technical problem? Or is this literally like, we're not using electricity? Well, he he throws a lot of stuff out there. He says uh, he needs a sardine can because it's the only thing. That's going to make it all work. (laughs) Well, he says it's the only the only kind of metal that works for the sound impedance. Like, he, like he's got like all the he knows exactly all the materials he needs. Yeah. To make it perfect. What do we we call him like rock and roll MacGyver or something? Yeah. <laughs> and you know not to jump ahead, but during Alice's show, it's all sparking. Yeah, I thought it was, was going like, to go wrong. Yeah, but but nope. I guess that's just how it's supposed to work. Yep. Uh, Lola is sitting in the middle of the audience seating area watching the rehearsal and she notices that she's falling in love with travis and not alice back at home corpus is using a wrench to adjust alice Pooh's braces uh she's in a wedding dress so the ceremony is imminent travis calls and corpus says hey you better get here soon because your sister's getting married and we, we didn't think to mention it to you before right now during the concert yeah the potatoes are sparking and <laughs> nothing goes wrong they're just sparking yeah lola is decked out in alice makeup while she's watching the show she looks weirdly like him like i think she has like a similar face shape on top of the makeup or i guess under the makeup but it's just uh it'd be weird if the makeup was under the skin but it's called a tattoo pat right lola sees travis walk away from the stage and out through the lobby and she's trying to catch up with him and she's telling him no you don't understand all these rock stars they love you like 
I'm backstage with the biggest rock stars in the world and they're just talking about you and how great you are. And I realized that the only thing matters is fame and you're really famous now. So I just want to marry you instead. She says they asked her to be a groupie for their next tour, which is weird already because isn't like a groupie literally just supposed to have sex with the band? Like, isn't that what a groupie is? I think the definition of a groupie is somebody who follows a band on tour from show to show. They don't necessarily imply they do anything with the band whatsoever. Because I felt like at least in the 60s and 70s, that's what groupie meant. I I think groupie is somebody who follows them on tour. Okay. Maybe. Either way, it just seems weird that they're inviting her to be a groupie because usually it's like a volunteer position, I thought. And she says, in addition to me being their groupie, they want you to be their roadie. And he says, look, I'm, I just found out my sister's getting married to my best friend, and I, I have to go. Like, I'd, I'd feel like an, an even bigger fool if I didn't go right now. And she says, you can't ask me to go with you now. And he says, I didn't say a word, did I? Because he intends to go himself in his brand new bus that says Texas or bust on the side of it. She worries as the doors are closing that she won't have another chance, and he agrees. Redfish, this is my dream. I might never get a second chance. You probably won't. And I think that she's talking about being a groupie, and he's talking about himself. Travis pulls up to the wedding in Texas, in his Texas or bust bus, and (laughs) inside the house, Corpus is just spraying a girl with some weird invention that he has for spraying water and when alice poo walks in she says oh shoot daddy you'd rather squirt girls and watch tv than see your own daughter get married rather i think they're about neck and neck <laughs> because he's just, just a weird old man uh bb is completely trashed for the wedding and he's getting dragged down the aisle by like four guys daddy is watching a pile of tvs at full blast in the house she's like daddy you said you were going to turn those down and he's like i want to see who wins this wrestling match the priest stops mid vows to welcome travis w redfish inexplicably bird is already here at the wedding just sitting in the back row he's like bird what are you doing here he's like i heard there was a party because he's great bb passes out before he can even kiss alice but after he says his vows so he got the important part and she just screams i'm married and, and then she be, proceeds to consummate the wedding. <laughs> right. She just jumps on him. Travis takes a call in the booth from Lola, and he goes to find her in some ghost town. And when they meet up, I, I don't know why she's here. Like, she tried to get to him, and her car broke down halfway there or something. Uh, Did she explain? No, it's just she's there. Yeah. I guess but, she couldn't find out exactly where he lived. Yeah. So he goes and meets up with her, and <laughs> Bird found the address, but she has no idea. She says that she's quitting groupie work and she wants to be a psychic and she didn't sleep with anybody in any of the bands so he's he's very happy about that they drive the bus down this dark road at night and they're about to kiss when she says hold on and he's like what is it now and she's like no i sense something something is happening and then we see this bright light from a ufo hovering over the charter bus and lola can see from here that the ufo is damaged and they'll need him to fix it what the hell is that? Oh, redfish. It's landing. It's damaged. They must know that you can fix it. In fact, I know they know you can fix it. Let's 
let's go fix it together. Is my life so much tougher than everybody else's? So she says, I know that they need our help. Because she's psychic. Right. I don't, I was like, is it because he referred to her as a Martian before? Yes. Was this supposed to be some kind of subtle clue that maybe she, in fact, isn't? She could a be human? a Martian. Yeah. A I, I, I wouldn't rule that out. And there was a plan for a sequel about them fixing this UFO so these oh, aliens really? could go home. <laughs> I feel the, like that would have been a better movie. The plan here was to show the actual UFO, but a cable snapped on set and the ship was dropped and destroyed (laughs) before they got any footage of it. (laughs) So that's a huge bummer, especially for whoever put this thing together to be like, what? You broke it and it's not going to be in the movie? (laughs) Thanks, guys. Uh, That's the end of the film. Well, at least the aliens uh, stopped some statutory rape from happening. That's true. So God bless you, aliens. This was directed by Alan Rudolph. He has lots of stuff, but the only one that I really recognized was Breakfast of Champions, which is the, it's a Bruce Willis starring adaptation of a Kurt Vonnegut story. Which was like way later. I mean, Yeah, it was late 90s. Late 90s, yeah. yeah. The writer here, Big Boy Medlin, he now writes awards shows for the E! Channel. So that's where that guy went. Writer Michael Ventura, basically just this and a movie called Echo Park. And other than that, it's been documentary and a little bit of tv the story credit here was zalman king that name sounds familiar to a lot of you and you're probably men he's a director of a lot of erotic content including (laughs) the red shoe diaries starring fox Mulder and joey tribbiani that was later adapted into a full showtime series meatloaf played travis w redfish he was robert paulson bitch tits bob in fight club he was eddie in the rocky horror picture show and he's Jack Black's dad in the Tenacious D movie. I feel like that's just perfect, perfect yeah. ideal casting. I feel like if if Jack Black was at his peak when this movie was made, he would have been the star of this movie. For sure, yeah. Because his dad is, in, in the Tenacious D movie, his dad is like mad that they're making rock and roll because he's like an old preacher. Mm. And he has some really great songs in the Tenacious D movie. And it just feels like b-sides of the rocky horror picture show soundtrack it's just really great music from him khaki hunter uh was lola what is it boolia bass boolia bass <laughs> lola boolia bass she was wendy in all three porky's films which i forgot there was a third one but there's a third one called porky's revenge and she's also patty sutherland in willie and phil later this year art carney was corpus c redfish he's uh from the honeymooners and he was in defiance he was the guy who let uh j michael vincent uses phone mm-hmm. he was arnold's cousin his favorite cousin in last action hero <laughs> gaylord sartain was bb muldoon here yeah we just had him as the cop in hollywood nights and we mentioned there that he was in a bunch of earnest movies yeah. don cornelius was muhammad johnson he was the creator and host of soul train roy orbison was himself he's a musician <laughs> you might recognize him from uh, henry winkler's ass in the water boy the same hank williams jr musician Hamilton Camp played Grady. I forget who Grady was, but uh, he played Meteor Burt in Joe Dirt. That's the guy who explains to Joe Dirt that what he found is not a meteor, but a Boeing bomb. <laughs> he also does the voice of Ayal Ghul in Aladdin, the animated series. 
And he's the voice of Gizmo Duck, Fenton Crackshell, and Jock Newbody in Darkwing Duck and DuckTales, the original. And he did Barney Rubble's voice in the 80s. Debbie Harry was obviously herself. She performed the theme to American Gigolo earlier this year, Call Me. She played a neighbor on Pete and Pete, and she was Velma Van Tussle in John Waters' Hairspray. Alice Cooper was himself here. He's a famous musician, renowned, decent guy. He also plays himself in Wayne's World, uh, Tim Burton's Dark Shadows movie on Family Guy, and in that 70s show, again with Red Foreman. I, uh, I went to an Alice Cooper show once. Did you? It was really good. It was uh, probably... Summerfest or oh my what? my God, no. Uh, it was at the Rave in Milwaukee. It was probably around 2000. Okay. Like 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was really entertaining because even then he had quite the stage theatrics. Yeah. So I think like that is absolutely why you go to those shows. They're just really elaborate. There's a great They Might Be Giants song that has like the the names of 20 or 30 different Alice Cooper songs in one They Might Be Giants song. It's like, no more Mr. Nice Guy. The whole song is just composed of names of Alice Cooper songs. That's great. Oh, you know what? There's one more Alice Cooper credit I wanted to mention. He played Freddy Krueger's father in the sixth installment of the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Yeah. Which was, I think, New Nightmare? After they were numbering them and they switched over to the new set, unless I'm wrong. Well, Wes Craven's New Nightmare was the one where the movie was real. Was it in 92 or? I think it was later than that even. Then I'm thinking of the wrong one. I think the the one that Alice Cooper was in was in 91 or 92. Maybe it was the sixth movie. Oh, you know what? It was the final nightmare. That's what it was. Okay. Yeah. So it was the last one that they numbered and then they rebooted for the new nightmare. Right, which was like a behind-the-scenes horror film. It was weird. Was it? Yeah, so it was all about the actors and Wes Craven and how the – creating the freddy krueger franchise brought, brought him to life brought him to life okay it's really good like it's like it's this weird twisted tale well we're gonna we're gonna live through that franchise in real time because i've yet to see any of them i've seen the first 20 minutes of the third one and i was like this is amazing but i want to watch <laughs> these in order so i feel like if you're gonna put ellis cooper in though wouldn't you call it welcome to my nightmare well he's not like the main character oh, of the okay. movie right. but uh also in that they might be giant song though welcome to my nightmare kurtwood smith was the security guard here he's red foreman from that 70s show he will always be red foreman he's, he's done so many things but he will always be red foreman he was a bad guy in robocop uh, he dies <laughs> a, a bad guy. guy there's so many bad guys <laughs> yeah i know but, he... but he's great and he was in that yeah that massive shootout at the drug den and then uh, he's also the president of the federation in undiscovered country star trek yeah. four and then we have Peter Frampton here, just as himself, another cameo from a musician. I didn't even notice him in there. Where was he? It, there's literally a PA saying, Mr. Frampton, calling Mr. Frampton, and he's just leaning on the balcony when you see those two Blues Brothers guys the first time. Oh, okay. They're like walking behind him down a hallway. Mm-hmm. It's like just like one of those random things. It kind of reminds me of Weird Al's cameo in Tapeheads. When, when <laughs> I don't Jockey, remember that. Jockey's is trying to get his attention and Weird Al just pushes him down to the ground and walks away. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That was a weird period for John Cusack. He did a lot of like music-centric films. Mm-hmm. But but I, I guess him and Tim Robbins must have 
hit it off because they brought him back for the other one. High yeah. Fidelity. <laughs> yeah. What else do we have to say about this? I think that the tour with the original gang with Ace and Muhammad is the worst part of this movie. I liked everything that happened at the house and I liked everything that happened with Alice Cooper. Yes. And I felt mm-hmm. like you get all these glimpses of what could have been a really fun like adventure movie slash concert film. This is the closest thing to a concert movie that we're going to cover because we get like three or four full songs yeah. in this movie. Well, I think the Loretta Lynn one, the yeah, Coal true. Miner's Daughter, is pretty concerty. That's true. Yeah. The only thing that got a genuine laugh out of me was the guy inhaling the tide and then just flipping out. <laughs> so uncomfortable. <laughs> I, just, I, I, I was just in a fit. I think because I needed it. I needed, I needed to laugh. Yeah. I wasn't laughing at this movie. That's why they should have leaned in more at the beginning to him being sort of an inventor type. Yeah. You know, establishing that he's the reason that this house has all these crazy contraptions because that's a really interesting backstory to why he's a good roadie. But also, you you did so much work for this one set and then everything else is like single serving sets that we never come back to. So it just makes it feel like this scene is like a full budget movie and everything else is just like shooting on the fly, which it probably was, but it just, it made everything we else spent look so everything cheap. on that spaceship that crashed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it was just, uh, it was weird. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, leaning in more Jesse is you couldn't, is the best way to put it because I feel like this movie had these really great wacky scenes. And if the whole movie was like this, I, maybe I would have had a, more of a liking to it and we could cut all the brain lock stuff well it didn't make any sense yeah or you get a smarter person to write the stuff that he says when he's being weird Mm -hmm. because it just sounded like something that most people could come up with off the top of their head well or have a payoff to it i don't even understand what the point of it was yeah it never really like had a punchline that was like oh well now he's in brain lock and it's good for us or like the audience loves that you're making no sense Exactly. Because I was, wait, I was waiting for him to be brilliant in brain lock and like come up with something that saves the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that didn't happen. Up or down, Jess? Uh, I'm going to give it a down. There, there's a few moments that are worth watching, but as an overall movie, I'd say no. Yeah. Richard? Yeah, it's going to be a down for me. I think the, the most worthwhile thing in this movie, because I, I even feel like Meatloaf wasn't ready to be the main character of a movie yet. I think that Art Carney kills it. Like everything he says is really funny. And he has this really densely like developed character that he understands all these different aspects of. And nobody else is as well written as this character. Like he's the one who does weird stuff and watches TV at his daughter's wedding. And and there's there's a moment when Travis first comes home like during the wedding and, and he walks in the door and he's like, Hi, Daddy. Hi, son. <laughs> like it just like felt really fun. And it was just like, I, there should have been more of these two. Letterboxed. Richard, where's this going? Uh, I'm putting it, actually, it's going to be my number one just below the Windows threshold. So it's just below Windows. All right. Which is just above Best small circle of the of intolerable film. <laughs> <laughs> uh, mine's a little lower than that, unfortunately. it's uh, It goes just below To All a Good Night and just above Fatso. It's about 16 up from the bottom, I think. Um, mine... Also just above Fatso, but for me, that's just below Nijinsky. I think that's about it for this one. Uh, if you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd, where, as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. 
We can also be found at vintagevideopodcast.com. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show, and if you take the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can support the show through patreon.com slash vintagevideopodcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing Holy Moses, which IMDb describes like so. Harvey and Zoe, two tourists traveling through Israel, discover an ancient scroll describing the life of Herschel, the man who was almost Moses. We leave you now with the trailer for Holy Moses. You all know the story of Moses. Well, this is the story of Herschel, who floated down the Nile with Moses. He might have had Moses' job, but he just didn't have the right connections. Dudley Moore. I am the God of Abraham. I am. I, I, I'd have to hear him a few more times before I got him down pat. Lorraine Newman. <laughs> James Coco. Oh, no, 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 slay me instead. Uh, listen, now, he has a point. Yes, sir. Paul Sand. <laughs> High time. Jack Guilford. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't have hit him there. Dom DeLuise. Let's have lunch. John Houseman. We go with fire and brimstone. Madeline Carr. Hello? The way the sun's glistening through your hair. Bow! David L. Lender. Um, I will make you see again. Don't blow it. Richard Pryor. The man was phenomenal! What, are you kidding me? He split the Red Sea in half! I mean, zip down the middle... Cover quick and no excuses. John Ritter. Man gives into temptation freely enough without any help from me. Thank you very much. After 3,000 years, the story can at last be told of the simple shepherd who tried to put out the burning bush. Holy Moses. Gigantic. Inspiration.